The book that we, that will be presented and discussed today is partly based on a first edition authored by Takenberg in 1998, also at Oxford University Press. The new publication is much more than an updated edition of the older one. I will not talk, I will not talk about the major additions. I leave this to the two co-authors. I will only say that due to its broader outlook, the Institute for Palestine Studies has decided to publish an Arabic translation of the book as it did for the first edition in 2003. After we listen to the two co-authors, co the floor will be given to Diana Butto to comment on the book. Since I'm retrieving old memories, I recall that I met her for the first time in 1998 when she came to see me at the visit at the Birzeit University, sorry, at the Birzeit Institute of Law. Having, having lived all her life in Canada until then, and not belonging to a family of refugees, I hope she permits me to say that her quest for Palestinian advocacy symbolized then, in many ways, the very experience of Palestinian refugees. Her trajectory afterwards, building the case for Palestinian inalienable rights in her writings, in the media, as well as in the Palestinian negotiated support unit, is known to many in this audience. We are not here today for a book only. We are here for an issue. Palestinian refugeehood Evokes, evokes rights that have been enshrined in international law and in UN resolutions. And these rights have not been implemented still, more than 70 years after the Nakba. The question arises why the passage of time has simply not dissolved the issue. The answer is not only because the Palestinian-Israel conflict is still going on. The answer surely resides in the fact that the Palestinian refugee experience has been at the heart of the Palestinian experience at home. Refugeehood represented more than the loss of a home, the loss of a country. It threatened to represent the loss of identity and sense of peoplehood, the loss of pride and the loss of self-esteem. And it is against this threat brought by refugeehood that the Palestinian movement re-emerged in the 50s and early 60s. The Palestinian movement was essentially the movement of people who rose from refugee camps, got their act together, and wanted to return as individuals and as a collective. For many integrated Palestinians of the second and third generations who are dispersed all over the world, this sense of belonging as refugees continue today, continues today. I would even say that the kind of Israeli policies, such as the basic law, Israel as a nation state of the Jewish people, 
that restricts self-determination to the Jewish citizens of the state, this group considers, or this policy, considers the very Palestinian citizens of Israel as refugees in their own homeland. It is within this psychological, humanitarian, social, historical, and political context that I would like to open this webinar on the status of Palestinian refugees in international law. So we will proceed in this way. First, Rex Takember will make a short introduction. He will be followed by Francesca Albanese, and then the discussant uh, Diana Butto will also uh, give her comments, and then there will be discussions at the end of uh, this web webinar. So welcome to all of you. Please, uh, please, Rex, go ahead. Thank you very much, Camille, for your kind words and inspiring introduction. Greetings from Vienna. Uh, as, you, as you mentioned, we're going back a long way and recall, I recall not only the meeting at, uh, at, uh, in Gaza, uh, I also recall you traveling to the Netherlands in February 1997. 20 years ago, exactly this month, along with Guy Gutwin-Gill to join the committee in front of which I defended my PhD, the very first edition of the book. We're very happy to have this opportunity for a conversation with you today. And let me begin by thanking the Institute for Palestine Studies, not just you, but also your colleagues in, in, uh, in, in Ramallah and in, in, in DC. For, uh, for making the arrangement and for hosting the event. Thank you also very much to Diana Butu for agreeing to offer comments and to, to, read, to read the book uh, in, in order to do so, and to all of you joining us today. When I wrote the first edition of the book, mostly in Gaza in the 1990s, there was already lots of literature about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, including legal works, but very little specifically about the people at the heart of the conflict, the Palestinian refugees. As a young lawyer working with the Dutch Refugee Council first and then with UNRWA, the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees, I had considerable difficulty in understanding why Palestinian refugees were the only group of force displaced with a different treatment to other refugees under the international refugee regime. The book I wrote in 1998 was the first attempt to comprehensively analyze the various legal aspects of the Palestinian refugee question and their distinct status in international law. The first edition, written at the time of the Middle East peace process, reflected the optimism of the time, including the expectation of the establishment of a Palestinian state, which many believed would help also resolve the refugee question. This optimism proved unfounded, and almost every political development since Oslo has adversely affected Palestinians. Photos under the yoke of the Israeli occupation in the Gaza Strip, West Bank and East Jerusalem, and the refugees at large. One of the few positive developments brought about by the Middle East peace process has been the increase of legal literature and research on the Palestinian refugee question, 
by scholars and practitioners, and Palestinian refugee organizations like Badil. However, this new research focused on either the situation of Palestinian refugees in specific countries, for example, Palestinian refugees in Lebanon or in Egypt, on their specific rights, right to return, right to compensation, or on the protection gap affecting them owing to the exceptional regime embodied by UNRWA and the UNCCP versus UNHCR. An updated analysis of the Palestinian refugee question as a whole, looking holistically at historic, historical, legal, and political aspects, continue to be missing. Also, at a time of increasing attacks against UNRWA, the difficulty of researching UNRWA for people who had not experienced it from within was an obstacle to fully appreciate both challenges and opportunities of the regime set up for these refugees. This whilst continuing to work with UNRWA, it gradually dawned on me that it would be important to update the book. As I dreaded having to embark on years of solitary confinement to accomplish the task, I decided to look for a co-author. That turned out to be a complex undertaking as I needed a good international lawyer with a solid understanding of the question of Palestine and the Palestinian refugee issue, but also an excellent researcher and networker as a lot of new literature and many more were engaged on the issue than 20 years ago. Last but not least, I needed someone with their heart in the right place. Having worked with Francesca during her tenure with UNRWA, I felt that she might fit the profile. Though it took patience and perseverance to convince her to accept my proposal, she rapidly proved to be the perfect choice. Not only did she agree to be my partner in crime, she also accepted to act as the principal author, taking the lead in the drafting of what essentially became a new book, reflecting the wealth of developments and knowledge that we were able to tap into. For me, the experience was totally different than the mostly solo and solitary exercise that the writing of the first edition had been. My role this time was to offer strategic support, to brainstorm with Francesca on how to tackle dilemmas we encountered on the way, to review the various drafts, but also to tap into my extensive network of academic and other contacts relevant to the book. The result is a much better, much richer book. As she has been the lead author, it is only fair that I ask Francesca to present the book to you. Francesca, the floor is yours. Thank you, Nix, and greetings from Indonesia, everyone. And thank you for parting in this event, particularly Camille uh, Mansour, Laura Wagner, PS, for making it possible, and Diana Butler for reading the book and offering um, comments tonight. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, what Lex described in his um, introductory remarks uh, was an extraordinary partnership between the two of us indeed, and what we have achieved, I believe, for first testament to it. Lex mentioned that I was initially reluctant to engage in this project, which is true. Having worked with ANRA and the Palestinian refugees, I knew that the new edition of this book was much needed, but it seemed quite a daunting task. 
And as a human rights lawyer by training, I felt more confident as a user of academic research rather than the one producing it. Also deep down, uh, perhaps I feared that embarking on research on a matter which I had deeply held personal views could compromise my objectivity. So that was an interesting exercise. What ultimately persuaded me to accept Lex's proposal was the fact that I, after working uh, for UNRWA, I moved to, to the US where the toxicity of the debate around Palestine and Palestinian refugees that I encountered um, was, was much beyond what I, had, uh, what I had expected. I found huge misconceptions on so many aspects of the uh, debate surrounding the, um, the, the question of Israel and Palestine, particularly the refugees. The mantra was that Palestinian refugees are not legitimate, not legitimate refugees, the right of return is pure fantasy. And UNRWA, the UN Relief and Work Agency for Palestine, refugees is part of the problem as it continues to serve refugees which should have already been uh, according to some naturalized wherever they reside and of course Israel owes nothing to no one. These claims that have only grown stronger um, over time serve a specific political purpose to distract from the reality that ending the de facto indefinite refugee status of millions of Palestinian refugees requires political solutions in line with international and the failure to find such a solution is the cause of the continuous existence of the Palestinian refugee question and the growing number of the refugees. And NANWA, frankly, as a subsidiary body of the General Assembly, now different from UNHCR, stands as a symptom of this chronic political deficit, certainly not its cause. So here's in Washington DC, confirmed that the honest and conducive debate around these issues is necessary and requires getting the fact and the legal meaning thereof straight. Now, since the early 50s, Palestinian intellectuals and scholars, often refugees themselves, and later many others, including some Israeli historians more, more recently, have brought the facts that have engulfed Palestine for almost a century now to the fore. However, the political debate and to some extent the legal debate are somewhat lacking behind. It is necessary to insist on the full picture of the Palestinian refugee question from the origins and evolution to present day, as, as Camille was saying at the beginning, this is essential to the old question of Palestine. And the refugee issue needs to be disentangled from the too narrow framework of the two-state solution to which day and any discussion concerning solutions that come to be inextricably associated to, even if without resolve. So, and this is what eventually persuaded me to be Lex's partners in crime, as he calls me, and why I'm here. So for this audience, I do not need to remind who Palestinians refugees are, those who were dispossessed and displaced in 1948 and 1967, and never allowed to return to their homes. Um, I'll just remind that numbering over 7 million today out of the over 13 million Palestinians globally, they are mainly in the Middle East, including of the occupied Palestine, Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon, where UNRWA operates, and other Arab countries from the Maghreb to the Gulf uh, countries, but also in Europe and the Americas, and increasingly in Africa and the Asia Pacific. Historically, Israel's denial of the right of, um, of the refugees to return to their homes, both as of 1947-49 and as of 1967, has made any other solutions for these uh, um, refugees unfeasible. And this has left the majority of the dispersed Palestinians with a precarious legal status and largely stateless refugees, 
and vulnerable to further displacement, and I will have the chance to return to this in a few minutes. But from a legal standpoint, the situation of the Palestinians scattered around the world remains, as I said, to be resolved in line with international law and relevant UN institutions. We have no illusions that international law per se can provide an easy way out of the current impasse in the Israel-Palestine Palestine situation. But we believe that international law can probably allow me to say a counter-hegemonic use of international law is indispensable to challenge the current state of affairs and contribute to inform principal political dynamics in the in surely in the direction of justice and hopefully peace, and meanwhile to empower. Palestinians in exile. But this is what our book from beginning to end aims to do, bringing the facts back to the center of, um, of the debate and using the legal lens to analyze their meaning and implications, and empowering individuals caught up in the thousand ramifications of the so-called Israeli-Palestinian conflict have a way out. I will now share the main takeaways of our book, which is essentially, as Lex said, earlier, uh, a new book on the foundation of the first edition, highlighting in particular what is known. First, compared to the first edition, the new book engages in a more, um, uh, in a deeper and more organic legal explorations of the events that prevent Palestine and its people. Uh, not from 1947, from the uh, 48, but from the last days of the Ottoman Empire, when political Zionism lays its ambitions on the land called Palestine, throughout the decades of British mandate, which paved the way to the unrest and war in 1947-49, triggered by the UN partition plan of Palestine, through the Israeli occupation of what remains of Palestine that commenced uh, in 1967 to the present day's dispersal all over the world. The book offers the most complete picture to our knowledge of Palestinian dispersal uh, through a survey that we carried out of numbers and rivals, status and treatment of Palestinian refugees in around 60 countries. The lack of further recording of Palestinian refugees in national statistics often makes them what we call statistically invisible. And so the lack of accessible data about them in certain country, countries blurs, blurs the overall picture. But yeah, it gives a sense of the protection challenges that Palestinians experience and calls for more research. What emerges is particularly that the continuity of Palestinian dispossession and displacement over centuries as a direct result of the vision of political Zionism over Palestine, whose effects have continued to present day Israeli policy in occupied Palestine, but also that the violence and dispossession, the disenfranchisement that Palestinians people have suffered at the hand of Israel are parts and parcel of the tragic fate that befell them, which has followed those in exile from Jordan to Lebanon, Kuwait, Libya, Iraq, Syria, and so on. Uh, often unknowing, uh, unspoken is the fact that since the 70s, and without considering the 250,000 Palestinians displaced from Israel since uh, it occupied uh, the West Bank and Gaza, over 700,000 Palestinians, mostly displaced from historical Palestine in 1948, and their children and grandchildren, have been forcibly displaced at least once from the Arab, Arab world further to war poverty, discrimination, and even outright persecution. This displacement is still ongoing, and from our analysis, it emerges that together with the increasing hardship in accessing international protection, 
in Europe and North America, the worsening condition in UNRWA's areas of operation and in the Arab world are pushing Palestinian refugees toward new frontiers of their exile. And one example is Southeast Asia, where I live, where Palestinians arrive anew as refugees, experiencing all sorts of old and new challenges. Second, the book provides a new critical analysis of the distinctive regime set up by the UN for Palestinian refugees within the international um, refugee framework, uh, moving beyond the exceptionalism to which Palestinian refugees are often portrayed, portrayed and clarifying the extent of the international protection they're entitled to. We offer a new interpretation of the um, admittedly not very clear Article 1D of the 1951 Geneva Convention on the Status of Refugees, which is the distinctive, which is the foundation of the distinctive regime available to Palestinian refugees. Um, and this is a key issue, so I will spend some extra words on it. Um, Article 1D, which is part of the definition of who is a refugee under international law, uh, and as I said, sounds quite obscure, excludes personal persons assisted by UN agencies other than UNHCR from the benefits of the 1951 convention, as long as this person enjoyed um, those agencies' protection and assistance. This, uh, this wording has led to one of the greatest misconceptions in refugee studies. Palestinian refugees are lesser refugees than others, or no refugees at all. Uh, to, to quote Professor Michael Link, children of lesser God, and therefore entitled to different or no protection of refugees at all. But this is factually and legally wrong. Because while it is true that there is a distinctive regime for Palestinian refugees within the very scope of the definition of who is a, of who is a refugee, this has historical reasons and doesn't exclude at all Palestinian refugees from the real model refugee protection. Rather, the contrary. It acknowledged it acknowledges their international status as, as refugees. So let me explain very briefly. In 1949, while the drafting of the 1951 convention and the UNHCR statute was still ongoing, the um, General Assembly with Resolution 194 of 1948 had already decided how to resolve the conflict in Palestine by establishing, first and foremost, the UN Conciliation Commission for Palestine, UNCCP, with the aim of negotiating a solution to the conflict in Palestine, including the refugee issue, and a scheme for durable solution for Palestinian refugees, through the return of those willing to live at peace with their Jewish neighbors, and the provision of compensation for those choosing to resettle elsewhere, that the, UN, that the UNCCP would facilitate. Because peace proved unattainable in the short term, other mechanisms were created to provide urgently needed assistance to the refugees, the most lasting one of which is UNRWA. UNRWA's original functions were geared toward surely material assistance uh, to the refugees, but also support to the political mandate of UNCCP um, to, um, toward solutions. And this is how the alternative arrangement came into existence. The Refugee Convention, which dates back to 1951, acknowledges this situation through Article 1D. As such, this was not meant to exclude Palestinian refugees from the enjoyment of rights of refugees, but just provided that those rights would be taken care of by other agencies as long as they as, as they exist and the question of the refugees is definitely settled. And this explains why Palestinian refugees are protected across generations. Now, placing the Palestinian refugee question in the context of, instead of opposed to other refugee situations, as we do in our book, 
allow us to appreciate that 70 years ago, ad hoc solutions to refugee problems like UNRWA and UNCCP were part of the institutional culture of the UN response to refugee situ situations, not an exception. Even UNHCR and the 1951 convention were initially envisaged for, for European and Soviet Union refugees. And at the same time, territorial partitions generated refugee crises such as the Palestinians, but also the Korean and the Indian Pakistani were all beyond the scope of UNHCR and the Refugee Convention. The only exception um, is that unlike the others, the Palestinian refugee question was never resolved. The Palestinians have yet to uh, enjoy a fully sovereign uh, state and many have remained in a limbo with no return and no resettlement and mostly stateless. So connected to these are the two following points I wanted to make. Third, we explain in detail who Palestinian refugees are in line with international law and the banking once and for all, we hope the myth that there is no official definition of who Palestinian refugees are and protracted are under international law as those who were displaced in 1948 and 1967. And again, they are still waiting for a resolution in line with international law. And this includes uh, the descendants, of course, and what I'm saying is supported uh, by UNHCR interpretation. It's surely not an UNRWA's invention. Fourth, in the account we offered of this very important and often forgotten body, the UNCCP, whose peacekeeping functions were brought to an end in 1960s, um, we, uh, we explain that it's de facto a fatal demise has uh, prompted an evolution of UNRWA's uh, uh, functions and its cooperation with UNHCR. Today, both agencies interpret their mandate vis-a-vis -vis Palestinian refugees as complementary rather than antithetical or contradictory. So accordingly, UNRWA is responsible for Palestine refugees in Lebanon, Jordan, and Syria, the West Bank, including East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip. And UH, UHCR is responsible for Palestinian refugees, both from 1948 and 1967, as well as new refugees, when they find themselves in need of international protection outside UNRWA's areas of, of operations for objective reasons. Of course, the system is far from perfect, but however, until now, the debate on the protection of Palestinian refugees has largely focused on UNRWA being unequipped or ill-equipped to protect Palestinian refugees, and these being part and parcel of the protection gap which surely exists for Palestinian refugees. We somewhat try to overcome this, and after analyzing the evolution of both UNRWA and UNHCR's protection vis-a-vis, Palestinian refugees um, and their little-known strategic cooperation propose a number of measures for both agencies within their respective sphere of competence to set in motion a more watertight protection system, hinging on the realization of Palestinian rights as a priority rather than uh, who does who does what uh, or who should do what. Lastly, the book offer an in-depth analysis of the question of Palestinian refugees in light with mm, uh, various bodies of international law and their interplay. And uh, this um, uh, includes the law of stateless person in view of Palestinian illegal denationalization and mass by Israel 1952, but also the, uh, their ensuring and protracted statelessness. Uh, the law of armed conflict and notions of international criminal law which affords Palestinian persecuted in the context of armed conflict and occupation, important framework. Mm. 
protect protection framework and possible remedies. And human rights law, which is particularly relevant, especially for Palestinian refugees living in countries that have not ratified the Refugee Convention, but are obliged by um, treaty obligations to protect the civil, cultural, economic, political, and social rights of any person under their jurisdiction regardless of their status as refugees, stateless person, or long-term resident. And we demonstrate how the recommendations of treaty bodies could be useful to make uh, national legislations more compliant to respect of Palestinian refugees' rights wherever they are. And last but not least, uh, international re refugee law. In addition to what I explained, meaning that we offer um, a, a, a more harmonious uh, interpretation of Article 1D of hoping for greater coherence around it, um, and all, um, on top of clarifying how Palestinians are international, Palestinian refugees are internationally uh, recognized, the refugees. The book explores the significance of recent developments in refugee law and praxis to Palestinian refugees to break the political impasse, and this represents a fundamental departure from the tradition, in the fact that the hope for the for peace uh, in the Middle East through the Middle East peace process, as was conceived 30 years ago, um, and the hope that it could offer a solution for Palestinian refugees is uh, dead. Our main premise is that after seven decades of unsuccessful attempts at resolving the refugee issue, a fundamental paradigm shift in the approach to solutions for Palestinian refugee, uh, refugees is needed, and this consists of three elements. We argue that the UN must assume responsibility for the pursuit of solutions for Palestinian refugees, like it ultimately does for other refugee crises, including large and protracted ones. Because since Oslo, the Palestinian refugee issue has been dominated even more than before by the asymmetry of power between the parties. And even before, political experience has all always prevailed over the interests of the refugees. This must end. And the second, international law being the framework and lighthouse for resolving the various aspects of the Palestinian refugee questions calls not only for solutions of the refugee status, but also for the connected claim for moral, material, individual, and collective justice. Um, third and last element of our proposed paradigm shift is um, what we call addressing the long-held belief that pursuing solutions for Palestinian refugees more holistically would undermine Palestinian rights and claims toward Israel. This is not the case at all, because for Palestinian refugees, the rights to return, restitution and compensation flow from the historical injustice accompanying the birth of the refugee issue, uh, which has only become stronger over time and the further advancement of international law. And um, so Palestinian refugees should not fear pursuing uh, solutions more closely in line with the global international refugee uh, regime, as many individual Palestinians have already done over the years and others demand. And um, we propose an articulate plan for this, um, for how to uh, implement this paradigm, uh, this paradigm shift, and I, which is both about the process and the substance. And I'm happy to leave the floor to Lex for his last remarks on the issue. Thank you, Francesca. Francesca. Uh, we argue in the book that the 2016 New York Declaration on Refugees and Migrants provides a unique opportunity to realize this paradigm shift. The declaration 
unanimously adopted by the UN General Assembly in 2016, in response to the largest refugee crisis since the Second World War, provides a powerful political reaffirmation of the international refugee regime that was put in place after the Second World War and subsequent decades, including the centrality of international law in protecting the human rights and fundamental freedoms of refugees and the approach in promoting durable solutions for refugee situations. The declaration underscores the importance of a systematic and comprehensive response in addressing refugee questions, and it calls, amongst other things, for the development of a comprehensive refugee response framework for each large-scale refugee situation, including protracted ones. These comprehensive refugee response frameworks are to be developed through a multi-stakeholder approach with a key role for national and local authorities, international organizations, international financial institutions, civil society, and last but not least, refugees themselves. It also calls for addressing all aspects of a refugee response, including root causes, ending refugee status and statelessness through a combination of durable solutions and humanitarian assistance. The New York Declaration applies to all refugees, including Palestinian refugees, as appears from a number of references therein to UNRWA. In spite of this, to date, no such framework has been developed for Palestinian refugees. And we suggest that this lacuna be addressed at the earliest possible opportunity, with UNRWA and UNHCR facilitating the process together each with respect to the Palestinian refugees for which it is responsible. We believe that such a comprehensive framework for Palestinian refugees developed under Palestinian leadership, including refugee groups and diaspora networks across the world, has the potential of ending Palestinian exceptionalism and allows a 72-year-old refugee question to be approached anew with a state-of-the-art 21st century toolbox. One may wonder what such framework would add to the multiple peace efforts that have been undertaken since the late 1940s, or how it would be different from that. The answer is both in the very elements of the comprehensive framework that we propose, its value, as Francesca said, being as much its core elements as well as the process of its development. So let me first give you a few of the key elements as we see it. The framework should first and foremost reaffirm the legal regime applicable to, Palestinian to the Palestinian refugee question, comprised of the, the various relevant norms of international law, including relevant UN resolutions, specifying their meaning and implications refugee question. This addresses the first element of our suggested paradigm shift and paves the way to a rights-based discourse on both protection and solutions, reconciling the rights to return, to the right to apply for citizenship in other countries, which has been absent for way too long. New York Declaration underscores the importance of addressing root causes, and this is a second element, root causes of any large-scale displacement. And as such, the development of the framework for Palestinian refugees could provide a setting to initiate under a UN agent, public discussion of the Palestinian refugee question. 
This would include both its origins and constituent elements, the past, as well as the broader context of the unresolved dispute between Israel and the Palestinians, the present and the unresolved questions of self-determination. Thirdly, the third element, addressing the Palestinian refugee question within the framework of international law means aligning the search for solutions with international refugee law and practice. The combination of the durable solutions has helped resolve other protracted refugee situations and could help do so for Palestinian refugees as well. This would not mean relinquishing the right of return, but creating a basis and space for the refugees themselves to discuss its significance whilst exploring solutions more holistically. Finally, the framework will have to address the important issue of restitution and compensation, on which there has been little progress, despite the important work done by the UNCCP and other technical experts to evaluate all property left behind in 1948. With respect to the development of a comprehensive refugees response framework for Palestinian refugees, as already mentioned, the New York Declaration calls for a multi-stakeholder approach. In the Palestinian case, this would require the mobilization of a wide and diverse front of supporters of the framework, including the UN, host countries, both in UNRWA's area of operation and other countries that host significant numbers of Palestinian refugees, donors, and civil society. The Palestinian political leadership and the refugees must have a central and leading role in this process. It should entail consultation at the national, regional, and international levels, structured engagement with refugees and other host countries, and exploration of the feasibility of various solutions and other measures. To conclude, we have no illusion that it's going to be easy, but we believe strongly that this approach has the potential to give new impetus to international action in favor of Palestinian refugees and their rights. This does not need to await and could help advance a more positive outlook for the wider political process. On that note, I give the floor back to Camille. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Rex. Uh, thank you, Francesca. So I give the floor now to Diana, Diana Butto. Please go ahead, Diana. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to begin by uh, first uh, thanking the Institute for Palestine Studies for asking me to be a discussant on this really wonderful book. Um, I want to thank you, Camille, uh, for being a mentor and friend for all of these years. In fact, you were the person who first encouraged me to move back to Palestine um, so many years ago. And I especially want to thank uh, Lex and Francesca for this really wonderfully written book. In uh, being a discussant today, I was mentioning earlier um, uh, to, to, to Francesca and to Lex that uh, this is the first time I, that I can actually recall that I had a problem with, um, with, a com with my computer. So I'm basing my remarks um, off, of, off of my memory and not so much off of my notes because my notes um, unfortunately disappeared. Um, and so I want to begin by focusing on what is happening at present and what has happened in the past when it comes to Palestinian refugees. 
I, before doing so, I really want to commend Lax and Francesca for their solid legal, historical, and social research. Um, this is an exceptional book, and it is comprehensive in nature. It gives readers a lot of insight into how Palestinian refugees have been treated in the past, while correctly pointing out the centrality of Palestinian refugees to providing any, and I'm going to put it in quotes, solutions. And, uh, and so I thank you for this. I, I appreciate that the, the survey that Francesca and Lex have carried out, it's both wide and comprehensive in scope. And on their approach in debunking the, um, as they call it, exceptional claims of Palestinian refugees that Israel and its supporters have often put forward. As an example of uh, this, uh, quote, exceptional claims, I want to just point out something that happened just earlier this week. Um, just this week, the former U.S. ambassador uh, to the United Nations and likely a future Republican contender for president, Nikki Haley, in response to President Biden's announcement that he's going to resume UNRWA funding, tweeted the following. She said, quote, don't be fooled by the UN Relief and Work Agency's UNRWA's misleading name. The, UN's entity, the UN entity's official mandate is to provide relief to Palestinian, in quotes, refugees. In reality, it indoctrinates Palestinian children with anti-Israel propaganda and praises terrorism, unquote. She then went on to make the usual, and of course, decades old uh, claims of Palestinian textbooks, claims that, not have, only, that have not only been debunked, but that are um, nowhere even close to reality. The problem, however, is that she, of course, focuses on the term refugees and puts it in quotes and, uh, and uh, implying that there is some level of exceptionalism. And of course, this type of statement is not new. We can easily dismiss it as being somebody from the Trump administration and her hatred for Palestinian refugees is very well known. But, uh, but it's part of a wave of anti-Palestinian statements that we have seen for over the course of the past seven decades. First, we've seen these statements aimed at denying that we are refugees in the first place. Then we've seen statements attacking the, uh, the agency, attacking UNRWA, uh, claiming that it is supposed to only provide relief. And then attacking whether we remain, uh, whether we remain refugees and of course, all the while telling us to get over it um, and thereby demanding that the world uh, clean up the problem that Israel created. These patterns of statements, all designed to give Israel's ethnic cleansing a pass, have appeared in different forms and by different politicians, including those who claim to be on the left and including those who, be, to, who claim to be in support of international law. And as I believe it was Stephen Salida who once um, said, you know, these, are, these are not just statements. These are statements that, that, these are not just statements. Politicians don't merely or accidentally make these statements. These are practiced statements that are edited and re-edited and stated in the front of a meter and repeated over and over and over again. Perhaps it's because of this level of dehumanization that we sometimes see the joy that emanates when we hear one politician or another 
express simple words of support or mild condemnations of Israeli policy. And yet, because we see this, you know, whether it was Bernie Sanders or others, you know, we see people applauding when uh, they make these statements um, in support of Palestinians. Um, but, you know, if you scratch the surface, they're not, maybe not as deep as we would like them to be. And yet, because we see this level of, um, and of dehumanization and this level of disdain, this is why we're at where we're at today. Seven decades following the ethnic cleansing of Palestine, we, don't, we still don't see a return on the horizon, but instead we see wholesale attempts to extinguish Palestinian rights and to extinguish UNRWA. And this is why this book is so important, so central, is because what Francesca and Lex do is they place it in its proper political context. They don't just treat Palestinian refugees as some issue that just happened, but they place it in its proper political and, uh, and legal context. Now, um, <clears throat> to be clear, this isn't uh, simply uh, this, this level of attempting to extinguish Palestinian refugee rights and to trying to extinguish UNRWA. It's not simply a measure that's being pushed by Israel and not simply a measure that's being pushed by the former uh, Trump administration, but it runs deep throughout many countries around the world. For they would really love to simply make Palestinian refugees disappear into the landscape and simply accept the international fate, and I say international for a reason, uh, that they have been handed. Uh, the reason I say international is because the international community has been largely complicit in this. But the dehumanization by Israel and at times supported by the international community is what has unfortunately led in part to the approach that's currently been taken by the PLO in addressing Palestinian refugees at the negotiating table. While the negotiators themselves are refugees or were refugees, many of them, as, as Francesca right, and Lex rightly put forward, um, they have instead focused on the creation of a state. In other words, they focused on the territorial issues rather than on refugees, which is the central issue, in the hope that somehow the cancer of Israeli settlements the cancer of Israeli occupation could, could very quickly be done away with, but leaving in its wake the fate of millions of Palestinian refugees who had been ethnically cleansed by Israel. And while this, is, um, while this was the approach that was taken by Palestinian negotiators, and I'm happy to get more into what happened at Taba if you'd like, what I find very interesting in the book and very important is the, in the book is, is the fact that Lex and Francesca put forward that the way that we should be dealing with Palestinian refugees is not through the, uh, through the back way, but through the front way, which is to say that the primary durable solution is repatriation and then followed by the other options that are perhaps out there, whether it's resettlement or, um, or settlement in another country. And yet what we saw throughout the, the negotiations and what we continue to see 
in terms of the positions that have been expressed by this current leadership is exactly the other way around. That instead of having international law as being the guiding force, that instead it seems to be that power seems to be the guiding force rather than law. And it's for this reason that, that I think that Francesca and Lex's proposal of durable solutions is a very important one, but of course raises a number of issues. And I will, I will um, use my uh, privilege as a discussant to, to pose some of these issues. Um, thank you, Lex, for illuminating how it is that you think that, these, that this framework mechanism can work. But what I'm left really thinking about is that although Palestinian, the Palestinian refugee question is not exceptional in nature, it has been treated as exceptional in nature by the international community. And it's for this reason that I'm left wondering what practical steps should be taken in order to move forward so that we actually place Palestinian refugees front and center rather than in the back. Now I understand that you've written, both of you have written about placing them, uh, placing those voices forward, but what are the concrete actual steps that need to be taken to make sure that, there, that, that the question of refugees becomes front and center rather than the bargaining chip that it currently is uh, that is used to somehow acquire territory. I want to also ask a question about this differential role that UNRWA seems to play. Now, on the one hand, uh, we see that UNRWA has, has been the body that has made sure that, that millions, not all, but millions of Palestinian refugees have, been, have, um, have had access to services and support and so on. But at the same time, we also see that, the, that UNRWA has at times been instrumentalized by various donor countries who, um, who prefer to support UNRWA to make sure that, as we, they put it, keep the joint on the place, rather than uh, to make sure that actual durable solutions are found. For example, the same countries that are supporting UNRWA are these same countries that also make pronouncements about Israel's ability um, to choose how it defines itself demographically. It's also the same countries that indicate that Israel has the ability to exclude millions of Palestinian refugees in order to keep that quote, that very racist, let me say, demographic balance. And so the book as, as a book is, is, is a very welcome book. Um, it's, it's exceptional in that I, I don't think I've read a book that is so comprehensive in nature. Each of the different sections of the book can serve as, as a book in and of itself. And brought together, it makes a wonderful, um, a wonderful addition to the literature, in fact, a comprehensive uh, tour de force. And I would love to hear more uh, from the two of you about this, this, uh, these issues that, um, that I have raised. Thank you very much again for asking me to be a discussant. And thank you very much for writing the book. Uh, thank you, thank you, Diana. Uh, maybe I give the floor now to Rex and Francesca to respond to Diana, and then to open the floor for you know questions by by the audience. 
So who would like to start, Rex or Francesca? I'm happy to okay, start. Go ahead. Okay, go ahead, Rex. Okay. <laughs> uh, what practical steps can be taken to you know, move forward on, 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 on these ideas? What, what we believe is the, the, the beauty of the idea is in its simplicity, the very fact that the New York Declaration was adopted unanimously by all 193 member states of the United Nations, means there is a mandate in general to elaborate innovative responses to refugee situations, including the old ones, including the protracted ones that have been with us for so long. It's not a coincidence that Filippo uh, Grandi uh, and Karen Abouzaid were the driving forces behind the New York Declaration and had also previously been Commissioner Generals of UNRWA. So we had we had uh, a unique convergence of expertise on the general refugee regime with expert understanding and knowledge on the Palestinian refugee question. So this mandate is there. You know, it doesn't require, in a way, new a new resolution or new action. Uh, now, with respect to other refugee situations, it's just UNHCR who is sort of saying, you know, let's look at the Afghan refugee situation anew. We're going to, you know, put in force this this the, the this multi-stakeholder approach and see where it takes us. Uh, with respect to the Palestinian refugee question, I mean, it would be highly inappropriate for UNHCR to take the lead uh, on this on this issue, in view of the fact that there is uh, uh, a, a dedicated parallel UN agency, UNRWA, uh, that was put, you know, was created to deal with Palestinian refugee issues. UNRWA, for a number of uh, internal reasons, has not so far uh, taken any initiatives in this domain. I, I think by and large it has been so engulfed in the financial crisis, you know, sort of trying to survive month by month that simply the space, the mental and, 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 and other space to embark on a more strategic uh, direction has not, been, has not been present. There has been a leadership crisis as well. There's currently a new leadership that is still finding its way. So it has not helped. It, it has not happened so far. And, and, and as, as you have seen from the book and, and also from my earlier remarks, we're, we're saying, okay, maybe now is the time to move forward. Uh, and in order to put things in motion, uh, it is essentially all that is needed to, to get going. It's sort of a knot between the current Commissioner General of UNRWA, uh, the, the High Commissioner for Refugees, and the Secretary General, who happens to be, you know, also the former uh, High Commissioner for Refugees and his key political advisor on, on uh, interagency coordination, Volker Turk, the former Assistant High Commissioner uh, for Protection, uh, to, to sort of, you know, uh, say, you know, Explore this, 
start start uh, start moving on this. Now, there of course there are dangers, and 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 one of the dangers is that you know the moment it starts moving, uh, either the U.S. administration, Israel, or both will sort of you know try to put a spanner in the wheel. But a formal spanner in the wheel they cannot put because they also voted in favor of the New York Declaration. So it depends on you know practical humanitarian uh, and 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 political diplomacy on how to move this forward. And we have ideas on that that will go beyond sort of the scope of this discussion. We're happy to uh, to uh, to you know to uh, bilaterally have a have a further discussion with you on this. Thanks, Francesca. Yeah, very briefly, I would like to complement what Lex said. Um, so thank you very much, Diana, for your kind comments. It really means a lot to us, and also for your questions. Um, I think that the first uh, the, the first issue is that the Palestinians themselves need to need to appropriate themselves of such a such a, a paradigm shift because it's uh, ultimately about them so the un can initiate facilitate but it's up to the palestinians and they don't think it would be fair to say it's up to the to the uh, political leadership because it's about the, the refugees themselves and this is why i'm saying it takes time but there are networks there especially the, among the youth and they're just not usually heard so um i will not talk much about that but this is this is an, um, an element i wanted to bring in the discussion concerning anwa i think i've often said that anwa has confined um, within a very small humanitarian corner. Of course, responding to threats and to attacks and to difficulties and challenges, but actually UNRWA's mandate is much more than providing um, relief and assistance. And it's the history of how the mandate has evolved over time based on the inputs of the General Assembly and Security Council as well, it's worth recalling, and which has which have also carved out a specific protection functions that are not always delivered so we need to start from that also, it's probably three years and including in the book we advocate for ANRWA to come out with a note an official note on its mandate because this will protect the agency from any attack and of course Lex and I stand ready to support with this kind of uh, this kind of reflection okay uh, thanks, Francesca. Uh, before, you know, uh, raising the first question by the audience, I'd like to comment, you know, on the, uh, the new paradigm that uh, both of you have been talking about. Uh, I, I personally think that uh, the question is to be raised by Palestinian refugees themselves in interaction with their countries, the host countries, whether in the Arab world, I mean, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, or in, uh, in the diaspora where they live now. I don't think that UNRWA has to play a role in this. UNRWA has a mandate, a specific mandate. It, it, its mandate has been uh, in, broadened to include protection, especially protection in the West Bank and Gaza. By the way, protection was not in the mandate of UNRWA in the beginning, in the 50s, towards the Arab world. Towards the Arab countries, I mean, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, and Egypt. Uh, protection 
came afterwards because of the politics in uh, in Syria and in Lebanon that we all know about. So now, now let me uh, raise the first question. I mean, read the first question. Is it possible to take the matter of Palestinian refugees to the ICC, the International Criminal Court, either as individuals or as people? Okay, uh, who, who would like to go ahead? <laughs> it's a difficult question. It is a difficult question, but um, Sorry? it is a difficult. Yes, it is a difficult question. No, it, no, the, no, no, the ICC, the ICC, ICC, first the ICC, not the ICJ. No, I understand it's a, it's a difficult it's a difficult question. But um, and and frankly, uh, among those who have followed the debate, there is uh, enthusiasm as well as skepticism because the political pressure over the ICC and the prosecutor has been immense and will not end uh, as proof of its success. But at the same time, in an ideal world, what I if justice was left to do its course, I would expect uh, the, 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 the ICC to look at what's going on in, um, in Palestine and uh, bear in mind uh, also some interpretation of law like the intertemporal doctrine, which says that law cannot, surely cannot be applied retroactively, but cannot be interpreted as frozen in time. And actually the settlement enterprise that is in place uh, today has started much before 2014 when the court started having jurisdiction. So th there is this element of continuous violation that I hope the, the, the court will, uh, will take uh, into, into account. I, and it's a very complex question. I cannot get into the detail of it. I'm sure Diana also may want to, may want to complement, but this is an important point. You know, the comparison is between, you know, Settlements is an ongoing activity, so it is it could be under the mandate of ICC as we as we see now, and also refugeehood, Palestinian refugeehood is also a continuing situation, so it can be also dealt with without going back to 1948. I mean that's a comparison that could be could be made, and I understand it is a difficult question, a difficult, a difficult question. But the refugees are the flip side of the settlement expansion. I mean, in a way, you take the land and you you get rid of the people. So yeah, the refugees are the victims of that. Exactly. You would you have to you would have to construe sort of the continued denial of return as a continuation yes. of the ethnic cleansing of, exactly. of violation of international humanitarian law. You know. Uh, well, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a line of uh, inquiry that is worth uh, that is worth encouraging some uh, some young Palestinian and other researchers to uh, to put their teeth into. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, thank you for that. Okay, uh, a question. Sorry. Yeah, I still wanted to to give one further. Uh, uh, Reaction to uh, to uh, to Diana's you know question in terms of practical steps. Uh, I believe the most significant element of sort of you know taking this new approach and, and and using the New York Declaration as a lever 
is that the void left by the uh, demise of the UNCCP can potentially be addressed. You know, since 1965, Palestinian refugees have been the only group of force displaced for whom there has been no institutional arrangement for solutions. All other refugees in the world have UNHCR as an advocate, as a, as a, as a humanitarian diplomacy uh, to, uh, to work towards solutions. And UNHCR integrates the discourse on solutions on, in, in everything what it does. You know, if it, if it organizes food distributions or shelter, uh, you know, eventual solutions are never are never more than 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 a hand throw away. So, so I think that is in in terms of the practical difference, uh, the most significant uh, change that can be brought about. And it's then, I would say, up to the Palestinians themselves, up to also unrush reaction, the uh, Secretary General's sort of uh, response, uh, whether whether this happens by sort of revisiting UNRWA's mandate. Francesca already suggested that there be a note on the on the mandate elaborated. You know where 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 UNRWA is effectively encouraged, in line with the New York Declaration, to include to reinterpret its mandate to include requests for solutions. Uh, or, as we suggest as an option, that the Secretary General appoint a special representative for Palestinian refugees to coordinate the, the, the development of a comprehensive response framework for Palestinian refugees. That's another, that's another uh, option. And, and there could be other mechanisms. But I think the, the most important uh, innovation is that the void left by the demise of the UNCCP be be addressed and, and, and that there's finally again, you know, if you have all, if you attend all these UNRWA meetings and now there is going to be a new international conference on UNRWA, it's all about sort of efficiently, uh, you know, delivering services, uh, overcoming the financial shortfall, etc. There is never any discussion whatsoever. You know, it's it's totally different from discussions you would you would you know witness with UNHCR. Where once again solutions and 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 uh, humanitarian aid and protection are always considered in tandem. This was my point, Lex, if I may, is that um, the, I the I understand the mechanism part. It's the political part that I think that we need to overcome, and that's the 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 challenge that I find uh, the greatest is that even. What, what at least I saw, and forgive me for just uh, expanding for a minute, what I saw happen during my period of working with in the negotiations was because of the fact that there was a ceiling that was put in place by Israel saying no refugee return, um, that in turn the international community also then pushed upon, upon uh, the, the, the leadership no refugee return and they weren't willing to do anything to press Israel. So it was mostly pressing the victims to give up their rights rather than pressing the perpetrator to address its wrongs. 
And it's that level, um, it's that issue that I think becomes so vitally important. That's why I appreciate the book so much is that you really lay out quite well how there's a disparity between what the law says and then what the actual implementation on the ground is. And, and so I'm left with how do we change the reality so that we're actually addressing the, the politics of it um, because those politics are so lacking. Even those countries that claim that they are supportive of Palestinian refugees and Palestinian refugee rights draw a line when it comes to return and always um, say, well, it's really, you know, it's up to Israel at the end of the day, whether Israel's going to allow these people in or not. And, uh, and, and that part is very disturbing. And, and the other aspect of this, just very quickly, is that, um, uh, Camilla, you mentioned at the beginning, I'm not a refugee. My, my father's actually an internally displaced Palestinian from 48, internally displaced. And again, this is an issue that, that has also completely been ignored by, um, by much of the, of the international political community. Yes, I thought about it. <laughs> it was included in my, yeah, in, no. But can okay. I make a comment, uh, Camille? Um, Please, go ahead, permission. go ahead, Francesca, yes. And then we go to the questions we have. Um, the, the, the thing is that I think in the book we make it quite clear that the protection system that um, we have and, and UNRWA needs to assume more responsibility for is in line with international um, refugee framework and the way Palestinian refugees fit in it. Because in, as I said, when the convention was um, entered into force, there were two mechanisms and together they delivered something that back then was not only adequate to meet the needs of the refugees in, in, the, in the short term, because the ultimate needs were to make them return to, to, to uh, their, their homes, but also um, this protection was higher than what was uh, delivered to other refugees worldwide. Um, the, the, the protection needs, as you, Camille, were saying, have evolved with the worsening of the situation uh, wherever Palestinians are, uh, and this is a function of the lack of durable solution because yes, of the solution true, gap. True, true. But still, what I mean to say ultimately uh, is that that mandate is to be the debt protection mandate is to be delivered to Palestinian refugees, and this is why I insisted does an unwind UNHCR. Um, cannot reason according to, oh, this is, this is what I'm used to do and this is what I'm used to do. They need to think of how to deliver continuity of protection, how to make this a reality. Otherwise, article, I mean, whatever was in the intention of who drafted Article 1D is, um, is violated. Okay, okay, thanks. Uh, I have uh, several, two or three other questions. One which is, you know, addressed to Rex, uh, just a second, let me find it. Uh, Rex, can you explain how the acquisition of uh, new citizenship by refugees do not weaken the right of return and restitution? Uh, in particular, what is the status of Jerusalem Palestinian refugees who currently acquire Israeli citizenship, does, does this enhance the right of return and compensation or not? Uh, um, I'm muted. 
Thank you, uh, Camille. And I see the question comes from Salim. So uh, it's great to uh, to see you uh, to see you being present. Uh, Salim is one of those who uh, was instrumental in getting the first edition of the book translated into into Arabic. And uh, I will be continue to be very grateful for that. Uh, question as to how the acquisition of new citizenship, for example, Israeli citizenship by Jerusalem Palestinian refugees, you know, affect their right of return. Uh, one of the things we make clear, I believe, and it's definitely much clearer in the in the new book than it is in was in the first edition, is that uh, uh, acquisition of citizenship uh, provides a uh, durable solution to refugee status. In other words, it brings about an end to refugee status uh, in terms of, you know, there is no longer a need for international protection. Uh, uh, the whole rationale about protection of refugees is to step in uh, to help people who are deprived of the protection of the state until such time that through a durable solution, national protection, protection by a state, uh, is restored. Uh, now, we make it clear that uh, protection uh, and, you know, the, the effect of durable solutions to bring an end to protection is distinct from the right of return. The right of return is not an instrument or is not a function of refugee protection. Yes, it is also because return is seen as sort of the desirable of the refugee solutions. But the right of return uh, underpinning, you know, the solution of return flows directly from the Ill illegality of the ethnic cleansing of, of Palestine, uh, which is, you know, a combination of uh, uh, expulsion during wartime, which was uh, already, uh, a, you know, a violation of international uh, humanitarian law uh, in the uh, in the first half of the of the 20th century, as well as the mass denationalization uh, of Palestinians, which which also constituted a war crime uh, and a flagrant violation of international law. So you know to find. Uh, 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 a, a durable solution that brings an end to refugees uh, to refugee status. You know, there's no longer a need for international protection. Uh, does not jeopardize uh, the Palestinian refugees' right to return, which flows. And we we talk in the book quite a bit about the historic claims, which we refer to as the claims that all Palestinians have, irrespective of their their. Uh, their uh, nationality or national status or continued refugee status or statelessness, you know, vis-a-vis -vis, vis -vis Israel, you know, the, the right of return, the right of uh, restitution of, of property, the right to compensation. You know, these are not affected by whatever durable solution is. And that's also why we, you know, this third element of our paradigm shift, we say, you know, Palestinian refugees no longer have to you know, think that in order to assert their rights, in order to fight for the Palestinian cause, 
they need to continue to live in, in misery in, in substandard living conditions. You know, even if you live in a in a villa in Beverly Hills, you have, you know, your your rights, your historic rights to return to restitution to compensation are as strong as when you're in a in a in a in a refugee shelter in, in Shatila or in, in, in Ino Hillway in Lebanon. Thanks, Jack. Another question, maybe to Francesca, uh, concerning, you know, uh, a participant is uh, asking whether a non-official truth commission be, could be an option uh, as a, you know, practical remedy for the Palestinian right of return. Um, frankly, I don't think that anything should be any um, mutually exclusive, especially when it comes to right of return, because one of the things that I, I really struggled with Lex's first edition, and Lex knows that, is the fact that it fell also in that uh, trend of saying, okay, let's look at what's politically feasible. No, it's not up to me, and I'm not a politician. As a lawyer, the right of return is there, and we made it crystal clear that its legal foundations are not even in Resolution 194. Resolution 194 took a picture of what was in international law applicable back then. So that is not, shouldn't be mutually exclusive. But I, I mean, there is something that the Palestinians have always asked, including through their leadership, is not is an acknowledgement of what happened because of what happened in 1947, 48 and 49, because it's extremely painful, the, the continued the, the continuous denial of, uh, of what destroyed the social fabric of a nation and whatever, whatever it was until then, Palestine. This is why I say the refugee status is not enough to, to describe the situation of the Palestinians. Orphan of a homeland, as Edward Said used to say, is a better expression, even if it doesn't have a necessary, I mean, an immediate com uh, protected status in international law. But so a truth commission is fundamental, I mean, not necessarily, I mean, called the truth commission, but uh, uh, one of these mechanisms is an essential part of the paradigm shift that we have proposed. We say, okay, Israel might not be ready, might never be ready, or to, to, to acknowledge what has happened. But it's time that the United Nations uh, creates uh, such, or, or this mechanism is created so that whatever has happened to the Palestinian is acknowledged in a, more than a Remembrance Day. And there is an opportunity to have the oral history of the Palestinians being heard in, a, in an official forum because I say that be I mean the Palestinians in hearing over and over the denial of the Nakba is no more than no less than for an Armenian being denied of what they went through uh, in 1914, uh, 1915, and for the, 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 the Jewish themselves as the tragedy that they have endured in uh, in connection with the Holocaust. And I'm not comparing the Holocaust or the Armenian genocide with the Nakba. It's not about this. It's about the past that has uh, disgregated a nation and it's still very present for the Palestinians. So the question is yes. Okay, uh, another, another question. Uh, uh, there will be a conference on UNRWA this year, later this year, and it is an initiative by the Jordanian and the Swedish uh, governments. I think it is raised by uh, Mr. Hammerberg, a Swedish diplomat. Do you have advice for these two governments when it comes to discussing UNRWA? 
Well, uh, thank you, Camille, and, and thank you, uh, uh, Thomas Hammerberg. Uh, very good to uh, to meet you uh, again. Uh, my my first reaction is to I think it's 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 indeed critical uh, for there to be another uh, international conference on UNRWA. The last major conference on UNRWA. Uh, the last sort of diplomatic conference on UNRWA was in 2004, uh, organized by, by Switzerland together with, uh, with UNRWA. Uh, there was an academic conference at the AUB, which UNRWA organized in 2010. Uh, you know, you, don't, you, you only get this opportunity uh, uh, once in a decade. Uh, and, and therefore, it's important that it is uh, is very well prepared. Uh, the uh, the Geneva conference took more than a year and a half of intensive preparations uh, to have a two-day conference. And I'm concerned that this initiative is uh, is, uh, is 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 too much rushed. And I would uh, encourage the uh, the uh, Jordanian and, and, and Swedish government to uh, to take the time it needs to uh, to carefully plan it and consider it and have preparatory work uh, rather than I mean I I'm, I'm I'm acutely aware having worked for 31 years with UNRWA you know that the uh, the financial situation remains dire in spite of the resumption of U.S. funding uh, you know the agency literally. Uh, paid the December 2020 salaries in January with money that was received for this year. So the uh, the, uh, the, the the financial uh, shortfall is carried over now from year to year and becomes more and more serious. But I don't think you know it should be a reason to uh, to uh, to rush uh, to rush a conference. Uh, we, we, as 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 you have probably uh, taken from from uh, elements of our presentation, we you know there are quite a few policy implications, policy uh, 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 policy implications of the book that we are very keen to uh, to share with UNRWA and to and to those. Uh, governments including Sweden and Jordan that are supporting UNRWA both with the conference and more more generally and we're we're very happy to reach out to you Thomas uh, with uh, with ideas that uh, that we we have uh, Francesca and I are also very happy to be uh, partnering with uh, the excellent Jordanian NGO Arab Renaissance for Democracy and Development which gives us an opportunity to both uh, teach uh, on the content of the book for uh, diverse audiences and in particular also for refugee use uh, as well as to engage with multiple stakeholders on some of those policy implications so we're very happy to brief you on that Thomas and, and, and others who may be interested okay thanks uh, now a question can I, from Camille, can I, uh, please, sorry, yeah, please, can I just please. add on 
um, because it's important. I agree with what Lex said uh, regarding time. And I agree with, I mean, the financial crisis is there. It's very important and should be solved. But now the time and uh, is, um, I mean, we are at the weird conjuncture because the Trump administration is over. Probably the U.S. will resume the, um, its finding. And then business as usual. No, I mean, I think that we should build on the, the lessons of the recent past to think, and for Anwar, this is time also for Anwar to, uh, to make an effort to come closer to the refugees and think with them of what it's needed for them to be better. And so in as much as gaining time, thinking beyond the financial crisis, thinking together with the refugees, involving them more closely and organization, there are plenty of refugee organizations like Badil, but many others uh, all over the Middle East start by discussing with them and engage in a real participatory um, approach regarding the future. Okay, another question by, I guess by uh, uh, my friend Hanan, Hanan Ashrawi. She asked whether, uh, uh, the, ter the territorial dimension and the refugee issues, are they mutually exclusive? Aren't they complementary? I think they are not mutually exclusive, of course. Sure. The point is that today, as Diana was saying, we face a situation where one has de facto overtaken the other, and again, with no resolve. Where is the Palestinian refugee issue politically? I mean, we don't see it, and we try to uh, to push everyone we can to bring it back to the fore. And uh, also from Hanan, you know, another another one, which is also very important, is you know, uh, you know, what what do you think about the false equivalence between you know Palestinian refugees and uh, Jewish immigrants? From, uh, yeah, from mainly the Arab, the Arab world, the Arab countries. I mean, because, you know, Israel, Israel wants yeah. to make, I mean, makes always this equivalence. They yeah. integrated, they absorbed, they assimilated, you know, Jewish refugees from Arab world, and the responsibility of the Arab countries is to absorb uh, This is not new. Refugees. But this is not new, you know, not, this not is why... I know. No, no, but this is why I would have loved the most in uh, working on this book has been digging into the archives. And uh, if, I mean, it's interesting because you read the UN documentation that um, the UN mediator and then the UNCCP, UNCCP secretariat that have produced until the 48, 49. And it's clearly, I mean, there is, a, there is a, an emphasis on, on the rights of the refugees, but slowly there is this emergence and it's a political, like um, a, a political predicament that is um, turned into a political agenda. There is this issue of the Jewish refugees, not from Europe, from Arab countries that was brought forward because they say, okay, if we have to, to if we owe something to them, then the Arab countries owe something to us. But definitely it's a false equivalence. First of all, because, I mean, the, the, the Palestinians are the ones who were displaced uh, from historical Palestine and including the West Bank and Gaza. It's not the other way around. And if there were, of course, atrocities that were also committed against, um, against um, Jewish, uh, Jewish populations from Arab countries, 
but together with the real operations of moving the Jewish population from Arab countries to Israel, it's not, it's, it's not one, I mean, that 700,000 700, um, uh, Arab Jews were kicked out uh, of, of, of Arab countries um, simultaneously. There were violations and surely there should be uh, forms of reparations, but this is something that Israel needs to deal with. Uh, um, it's, I mean, it's Arab counterparts. Actually, why not? They, this is a good question. They should bring it up in the new normalization framework with Arab countries, because this is not something that belongs to the Palestinians to solve. Uh, thanks, Francesca. Uh, I would like to give the floor to Diana now. Uh, I mean, to I mean to comment if you have a general comment on you know on the discussions, and also to respond to the questions that I have uh, before me concerning you know the younger generation in Israel, in Israel. I mean Israeli. I mean Jewish Israeli. You know how they feel about it about you know the question of uh, Palestinian refugees about the question of occupied territories and you know within your general comments that you would like to make yeah thank you um first uh, regarding the issue of mutually exclusive no of course they're not mutually exclusive the ethnic cleansing of palestine was both the stealing of the land and the removal of the people and the problem has been that uh, throughout history is that israel has been trying to erase both sides of it they're trying to claim that they that they didn't steal the land and that they didn't erase the people, and yet, um, and yet, obviously, that is something uh, that they have done. And unfortunately, the the problem has been that although they're they're not mutually exclusive because it is one issue at the end of the day, um, much of the way that that the international community has dealt with this has just simply been to focus on the territorial dimension, um, somehow just hoping that. Palestinian refugees just kind of meld into the landscape or, or fade into the background, which of course isn't going to happen. And, uh, and then that false equivalence um, is something that was strategically done. It was strategically done as an attempt to try to once again erase Palestinian refugees to do a one for one. Well, you know, we, you, your people left, your people fled to whatever and our people fled from whatever. And so let, it's a, you know, it's a wash. In fact, in the, I believe it was just before when the Trump plan came out, I, I may be mistaken, but I believe there was compensation for the uh, one version of it, there was compensation for the, for the, <laughs> for Jewish refugees that are worth nothing when it came to Palestinian refugees. Um, in terms of, and you know, and that's, that, this goes back to the issue of politics and, uh, and that's where I think that our work has to be uh, done is that on the legal side, it's solid. It's the, it's the, po the political side that needs, um, the, the political side in terms of the international community that needs, to, needs work. Um, in terms of the issue of, is there a change in perception in, uh, among younger Israelis? No, it's actually quite the opposite that, all of the surveys that we're seeing is that are, are um, pointing in the wrong direction. Um, whether it's uh, whether it's surveys of young people who say they don't want to live next to a uh, Palestinian, including Palestinian citizens of Israel, to um, those who express extreme support for Israeli policies of, as they put it, wiping out Gaza, um, to the continued. Uh, military service and so on, the indicators are actually going the, the wrong way. It's not that, that um, viewpoints are softening, they're actually hardening. And a lot of that is because of the, these very um, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like very systemic, uh, sorry, like these campaigns of dehumanization um, that are really well thought out, well calculated, that the Israeli, that successive Israeli governments have put into place to make sure that that we become completely dehumanized to the point where where it's got where we are often in a situation where we have to even explain um, our right to to even live on our own homeland, and uh, and unfortunately this is this is the the product of all of these propaganda com campaigns is really showing among the younger generation. Uh, thanks, Agnes. You know, Agnes Francesca or Agnes want to say a final word. I mean, I mean, uh, we finish. Uh, all right, okay. We, uh, we tremendously appreciated the, the discussion and 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 the uh, the uh, uh, also the, the comments by by Diana uh, and the opportunity to engage with uh, with such a diverse audience and. If any of you still have questions that uh, that were not answered, uh, don't hesitate to us bilaterally. Uh, we were we're more than happy to uh, to engage with you on on those issues. And yeah. thanks again okay. for hosting today's event. Yeah, in addition to, to thank you very much, Camille and Diana, it was really a beautiful discussion. I, I would like to say that um, as I also as I also um, did when uh, Professor Asim Khalil invited us to speak to the first Palestinian audience we presented the book to, I always feel very humbled when I meet with um, with Palestinians, both from uh, from Palestine and abroad, because I know that this uh, this is something that it's it's much more than what it is for me. But I I hope I, Lex and I have treated with um, with uh, with respect what we have uh, what we have offered in the book, and we hope that the book will really help advance uh, advance toward justice. Yes, okay, I will encourage you, encourage everybody to buy the book. <laughs> and also maybe to add to it, maybe sometimes some, you know, long months to have the Arabic the translation to, uh, in, in Arabic. And, uh, and I would like to thank the panelists, the three of you, and also to thank the audience who have spent part of their morning or their evening or their afternoon with us. Thank you all and uh, keep safe.